Thanks for tuning in to Invisible Malaysia. Our guest for this episode is Debbie Stothart, i.e. Secretary General of the International Federation of Human Rights and Coordinator of ALTSEAN, that is, Alternative ASEAN Network for Burma. Debbie Stothart talks about the economic impact of refugees in Malaysia, reflects on why it's hard for Malaysians at large to empathize with refugee issues, and, by way of a motorcycle analogy, discusses an existing Malaysian mechanism that would solve many problems if it were comprehensively implemented across the entire refugee population in the country. I hope you find this episode useful. Okay, um, my name is Debbie Stothard. I am the founder and coordinator of ALTSEAN Burma, the Alternative ASEAN Network on Burma. And I'm also the Secretary General of FIDH, the International Federation for Human Rights. It's an organization um, made up of 184 national human rights organizations in over 100 countries, and it's 97 years old. And sometimes, at the end of a very long week, doing human rights work, I do feel like I'm 97 years old too. <laughs> anyway, uh, we work on uh, a broad range of human rights, protections and promotion, but um, also um, OLTSEAN, which is a member of FIDH, has been working for 23 years now um, on for the protection and promotion of human rights and democracy in Burma, Myanmar, but also in the broader ASEAN Southeast Asian region. And uh, our main priorities at this time are women's leadership, atrocity prevention, and business and human rights. In a year, ALTSEAN and uh, also I would probably deliver about 15 to 20 training events that would be public lectures or workshops that run for up to five days. Mm -hmm. But I also do about more than 100 advocacy meetings in a year. I think that the youth in Malaysia are interested in advocating for communities such as refugees, but we wouldn't necessarily know how important economic literacy is. Can you tell us more about that? Well, um, very often uh, it is the, the, the perception mm. or the misunderstanding about refugees being in countries that, oh, refugees are a burden and um, <clears throat> they are draining our, our resources. Mm. But in reality, if you did an economic analysis and looked at the situation in various countries, if you allow refugees the right to work and have access to health and education, it's actually better for the country. It's been estimated that um, if refugees in Malaysia were given the right to work, that within five years they would um, generate in approximately three billion ringgit within five years the contribution to the growth of the GDP. Uh, they would have been paying up within five years um, in context of 50 million uh, ringgit Malaysia. That is a huge amount of contribution to the national economy. And when refugees are allowed to become uh, active members of the formal economy, the white economy, so to speak, it, they also by themselves are able to generate more jobs for Malaysians. Whether refugees, um, higher qualifications are recognized, we have uh, a gap uh, in Malaysia of, uh, we need, I think, about 20,000 doctors. 
There are doctors amongst the refugee population whose skills and qualifications have not been recognized. Mm -hmm. Instead of importing from overseas, we already have them here. Mm -hmm. um, even for refugees who may not have had access to uh, education and uh, advanced training, we still need semi-skilled and lower-skilled lower skilled um, lower workers in industry and services to keep our economy going. Mm -hmm. uh, these are jobs that Malaysians don't want to do. It's actually in our interest as Malaysians to uh, give refugees the right to work so that they have the ability to take care of themselves, to feed their families and to ensure that their children can go to school and stay healthy. I think it's very impractical to think of uh, refugees as what we call a warehousing problem that we just keep refugees in one spot for a few years and hopefully they get to resettle to a third country. In reality, very few refugees are able to be resettled because there are fewer and fewer places around the world. And uh, why not eventually consider how we can absorb refugees contributions and uh, refugees as contributors to the economy and refugees as contributors to Malaysia. Mm. I think that is a, a much more practical idea and much more practical view. And let's not forget that Malaysian history is full of refugees. Even when we consider, if you look at things from this lens, you will see that the Malacca Sultanate, Sultanate was established by Parameswara and Paris, Parameswara was essentially a political refugee. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I think uh, we, we should put aside these misunderstandings and misconceptions and get on with the job of um, making sure that how we welcome refugees and how we allow integration of refugees into Malaysia's social, cultural and economic community is, um, is a win-win situation all around. In all of what you said, what is it that forms a barrier for the typical Malaysian, I suppose, to grasp that? I think um, Malaysia has uh, been very lucky because we've not had war. We had a confrontation in 1965, and that's a very long part of, of our past, and it was just a very short um, uh, confrontation. So uh, the Malaysian emergency ran for several decades, but it was very low intensity and it was in the jungle. We never saw uh, fighting in our streets, we never saw hot fighting in our streets, we never saw military coming to bomb any part of, you know, we didn't, we didn't get um, um, aircraft coming from other countries to bomb us or something like this. So for, for most Malaysians, we don't actually understand the reality of war. We don't understand the reality of a military coming to bomb your village and burn your village and kill your family. We don't understand what that means. And therefore, it's very easy for us to feel disconnected. When refugees say they come because of war, it wasn't like they, they came for convenience. They came because they were running for their lives and many of them have survived some very serious atrocities. So I think uh, Malaysians need to have a little bit of sympathy and understand that we have to learn how to empathize 
with refugees, but also see that this is an opportunity for the country to grow culturally and economically mm. and socially in terms of the diversity that we have. Malaysia is already a very diverse country. And if we are thinking about advancing a, the, uh, our economy to attract foreign investment, to be more globalized and more international in our outlook, um, refugees actually provide some of those opportunities. So something that we learned from your advocacy workshop this past two days is your motorcycle analogy, which I thought was very eye-opening. Could you, for the benefit of others watching, just share that with us? Well, you know, the majority of people in Asia, especially poorer and rural people, tend to use motorcycles as their main mode of transport. You need your motorcycle to get to work or go to the market and so on. And uh, um, sometimes uh, when we are calling, we are recommending a certain course of action. If we are recommending for a solution, because for me, advocacy is about empowering everyone to be part of a solution, to contribute to a solution. Then uh, if we ask for a giant solution, it's like having to buy a new motorbike because your motorbike is not working. Of course, if a motorbike is not working and one mechanic says buy a whole new motorbike and we can't afford it, they might be looking at another opinion and they might say just buy a new tire or a new part and you'll be able to use the motorcycle for a while more. So of course most of us will, will decide we will buy a new part or a new tire so that we can keep on using our motorcycle. In a sense when it comes to government policy, instead of saying we need to create a whole new law, Let's look at what laws are in place or procedures that are in place or what um, policies are in place that are matching with what we are trying to do. So what we need to do is amend, do an amendment or expansion. In the case of refugee rights, the Malaysian government already has a mechanism in place. It's called IMN 13, IMN 13, which uh, allows refugees to have the right to work, to education and health. Unfortunately, the IMM 13 has been unsuccessful because it has not been compre comprehensively or systematically implemented. So the Immigration Department issues IMM 13, but then there's no clarification to the, the school system or the hospital system or to employers or labor department that having this IMM 13 means who, which refugee holds it can actually have the right to work or to school or to education. If the Malaysian government were to systematically and comprehensively uh, implement IMM 13, that all refugees have IMM 13 and that all departments concerned know that what they can do with it, then um, it benefits not just refugees, but it ensures that the government is successful in how it uses IMM 13. I think all around it's a win-win situation. Refugees are able to take care of themselves and their families. They're less of a drain uh, on the local resources. They contribute to the economy. The government has less of a headache because they're able to implement something successfully. Um, and, uh, and actually, Malaysia then gets a lot of credit because the whole world is looking on Malaysia as the Malaysia priority and looking for all the gaps in between.
You've been listening to Invisible Malaysia, a podcast about refugees produced by Tenaganita. Efforts like this rely on support from people like you. Help ensure continued support for marginalized communities by donating to Tenaganita through PayPal at www.tenaganita.net or find our bank information on our Facebook page. This podcast could not have been produced without the help of the Naganita interns and others, particularly Hawa Hussein and Sandra Lan. I'm Nadine Faisal. Thank you so much for listening.